Welcome to Words of the Wise, an introduction to the book of Proverbs, by Dr. Jacques B. Ducan, brought to you by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 1. The Call of Wisdom From Eden onward, the root of human tragedy lies in wrong choices. Man lost all because he chose to listen to the deceiver rather than to him who is truth, who alone has understanding. By the mingling of evil with good, his mind had become confused. Education, page 25. The book of Proverbs is all about helping us to make right choices, to choose the way of God and not that of the deceiver. The father or the mother, speaking to their son, not only warns him against wrong choices, but encourages him to make the right ones. This is so important because the choices we make are literally matters of life and death. The first three chapters of Proverbs illustrate this method of education. After having explained the purpose of the book, to know wisdom, Proverbs 1 verse 2, and having laid down the motto of the book, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the author moves back and forth from warning us against listening to foolishness to urging us to respond to the call of heavenly wisdom. In each exploration of Proverbs, Dr. Dukan will recommend a proverb, a verse, to memorize. Today's wisdom comes from Proverbs 1 verse 7 in the New King James Version. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The Beginning of Wisdom The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. In Proverbs 1.1 1, 1, through verse 6, the title says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, Proverbs 1 verse 1, which establishes a link between this proverb and 1 Kings 3 verses 5 through 14. In the books of First and Second Kings, as in the book of Proverbs, Solomon is presented as a son seeking wisdom from God. In addition to both referring to Solomon as the son of David, the two texts share significant common wording such as understand, wisdom, and judgment. Not only do these parallels confirm Solomon as the one behind the composition of the book, they also show that Proverbs is dealing with the human quest for wisdom from God. So, how does Proverbs 1 verse 7 answer these questions? What is wisdom? What is the fear of the Lord? How do these two concepts relate to each other? Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word wisdom in this proverb is defined as a religious experience. It is related to the fear of the Lord. This important concept of the Hebrew religion is key to the book of Proverbs. Not only does it occur repeatedly, but it also frames the entire book. Another text to show religious experience is Proverbs 31, verse 30, which says, Favor is deceitful, and bounty is vain, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The fear of the Lord has nothing to do with the superstitious and childish fear of divine punishment. Instead, it should be understood as the acute consciousness of God's personal presence at all times and everywhere. The fear of the Lord had characterized the people's reaction to God's revelation at Sinai. 
just as it explained their commitment to be faithful and to love God in response to his covenant with them. Exodus 19, verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Exodus 20, verse 20 tells us what Moses said about fearing God. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 reports how Moses provided further detailed instructions about fearing God. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? To fear God means to be faithful to him and to love him. The phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, means that wisdom originates in this fear. The Hebrew word for beginning, pronounced reshith, points to the first word introducing the creation story in Genesis 1.1. The first lesson of wisdom, then, deals with understanding that God is our creator, the one who gives us life and breath, and that he is always present, a God of love and justice and redemption. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Psalm 89.14 says, Justice and judgment are the habitations of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. And Hebrews 9.12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. We are told to love God and also to fear him. How do these two concepts relate to your own experience with the Lord? In daily reality, do you ever ponder or think about these introspective questions? How do I love God? What does that mean to you to love God? Do I fear and respect God? How do you experience that in your life? True Education Listen to Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 19. What two contrasting ways is education presented in these verses? And what is the basic message, not just for parents, but for everyone who fears the Lord? My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. For they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave, and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance, we shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us, let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them, refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood, they lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of every one that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Try to identify the answers from the verses you've just heard. Again, the two questions are, what two contrasting ways of education are presented in these verses? And what's the basic message in these verses? 
not just for parents, but for everyone who fears the Lord. Education is, first of all, a family matter, and true education comes first and foremost from the parents. In these verses, this education is called instruction, and even law. The Hebrew word for law, Torah, means direction. The parents are to point their children in the right direction. In contrast, the other type of education is not identified, not given a name. It is simply acknowledged as the voice of sinners, which leads in the wrong direction. Also, the words my son, not to be taken in a gender-exclusive sense, are repeated many times, emphasizing parental instruction. Each parent, for example, your father and your mother, in the New King James Version, is clearly identified in the singular and is personally involved, while the other camp, sinners, is an anonymous plural. In her book, The Adventist Home, on page 182, Ellen G. White wrote, In his wisdom, the Lord had decreed that the family shall be the greatest of all educational agencies. It is in the home that the education of the child is to begin. Here is his first school. Here, with his parents as instructors, he is to learn the lessons that are to guide him throughout life. The educational influences of the home are a decided power for good or for evil. If the child is not instructed aright here, Satan will educate him through agencies of his choosing. The best argument on behalf of family education is its results. These are the inner qualities of character, which are like ornaments on the head and around the neck. In the Middle Eastern culture, precious collars and bracelets were passed from parents to children as a heritage of value. Education matters more, though, than material riches. The time spent with our children will be of much greater value for them than the time spent at our businesses. Also, the reference to the neck and the head, which is the individual's face, suggests that education will shape his or her personality. In the way of fools or sinners, only the feet are mentioned, as if the wayward son had lost his identity. Proverbs 1 verse 15 is an example of the feet and where they walk, being an indication of a person's character. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Now here is a life application question. How can you learn to resist the temptations that culture, society, friends, and even family might throw your way? of wisdom. Proverbs 1 verse 20 through 23 says, Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. How is wisdom presented here? Wisdom wants to be heard. She has something of importance to announce, and she wants everyone to hear what she says. She cries out. She uttereth her voice. She uttereth her words. She cries out where many people are and where they go so that no one misses her message. And so she cries out in the streets and in the openings of the gates and in the city. What is wisdom saying to us? 
Wisdom wonders how long we will choose to prefer simplicity. It's not a compliment, nor a virtue. If we are like scorners who enjoy ridiculing people who follow God in His ways, how long will we be that way? If we change our ways based upon her reproof, wisdom will pour out her spirit on us. Tell us her wisdom words. While the sinners lie in wait and lurk secretly, wisdom calls aloud outside, cries out in the chief concourses, and speaks her words. Proverbs 1, 11 through 21 Wisdom is here personified, and her offer is given to the man and the woman on the street. It is for everyone in the real business of life. Amid the noise and rancor of so many products and so many sellers, the call of wisdom must be loud, otherwise she would not be heard against the clamor of so many other voices. What is the result of rejecting wisdom? To find out, let's read Proverbs 1, verses 22 through 32. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge? Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have sought at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity, I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. The reason that people reject wisdom has nothing to do with wisdom itself, and everything to do with the character of those who reject her. In Proverbs 1 verse 25, these people are described as arrogant and disdainful, when it says, Ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. Compare that verse with verse 30 of the same chapter. They would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. It's as if they know better. The implication is that wisdom is for the naive and the simple. Yet those who reject wisdom are simple and naive. They are fools who hate knowledge, according to Proverbs 1 verse 22. It also says of the same people, using more stubborn sounding words in verse 29 for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Those who reject wisdom will reap the fruit of their rejection. Having refused to choose the fear of the Lord, they will have to be content with themselves. Proverbs 1 verse 31 says, They will be full with their own fancies. When we reject wisdom from above, we often end up with the fables and lies that we fabricate for ourselves, or the fables and lies that others fabricate for us, that we so readily accept. In this way, we replace God with idols. Ironically, those who despise religion, mocking those who judge as simple and naive, often are superstitious in their own way, placing value on the most fleeting and useless of things that, in the end, can never satisfy the most basic needs of the heart. Proverbs 1 verse 33 assures us that, Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. When we remember the context in what came before, 
can you remember what promise and hope is found here for you? For example, verse 23 gives an if-then promise. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Here's a question to contemplate. How is this promise shown to be true in my own experience? What is the benefit of wisdom? As you listen to Proverbs 2 verses 1 to 5, make a mental list of conditions that will answer this question. What are the conditions for understanding the fear of the Lord? Again, what are the conditions for understanding the fear of the Lord? This is what Proverbs 2 verses 1 through 5 say. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. So what are the conditions for understanding the fear of the Lord? What mental list did you make? Let's compare our lists. The first condition is to receive wisdom's words and to treasure them, to value them so that we live by them. The second condition is seeking for wisdom, and whatever you discover, applying those concepts to your life. The third condition is to yearn for wise knowledge, to seek to gain understanding with all your heart. The fourth condition is to search for wisdom, in the same way that you would search for silver or treasure. If we do these four conditions, verse 5 assures us that then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Take a moment and think about this question. What choices do I need to make? Do I really value and search for God's wisdom? Three times the discourse is introduced with the conjunction if, marking three stages in the progression of education. The first if introduces the passive stage of listening, that is, simply being receptive and attentive to the words of wisdom. The second if introduces the active response of crying and asking for wisdom. The third if introduces passionate involvement in seeking and searching for wisdom as we would for hidden treasures. Listen to Proverbs 2 verses 6 through 9 for the answers to these two questions. What are the conditions for understanding righteousness? What is God's responsibility in the acquisition of wisdom? Proverbs 2 verses 6 through 9 say, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment, and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness, and judgment, and equity, yea, every good path. Again, the two questions are, what are the conditions for understanding righteousness? What is God's responsibility in the acquisition of wisdom? Actually, the phrase, the Lord gives, in verse 6, New King James Version, responds to the phrase, you will find the knowledge of God, verse 5, New International Version. Wisdom, like salvation, is a gift from God. 
as much as verses 1 through 5 describe the human process. Verses 6 through 9 describes the divine work. He gives wisdom. He stores wisdom. He guards and preserves the way of the wise. Now let's listen to Proverbs 2, verses 10 through 22. Proverbs 2, verse 10 says, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things, who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil, and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, and they froward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be uprooted out of it. When wisdom enters your heart, that marks the final stage of conversion. Not only will we enjoy the knowledge of the Lord, but it will be a pleasant experience to our souls. We will also be protected from the way of evil, from the seduction of evil, and we will walk in the path of righteousness. Listen to Proverbs 2, verses 13 to 17. Verse 13. Who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness? Verse 17 which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God. What is the first step of wickedness, and where does it lead? Though we are sinners, we don't have to fall into evil. The ones depicted as on the wrong path must have first left the right path. Wickedness then is understood, first of all, as a lack of faithfulness. Sin begins subtly and innocently, but before long the sinner not only does wickedly, but also enjoys it. What should it tell you about yourself if you enjoy doing evil? Or even worse, what if you don't even consider it to be evil anymore? Do not forget. Proverbs 3 verse 7 reveals the trap of being wise in one's own eyes. What is the trap? To be wise in one's own eyes will lead to the illusion that one does not need God to be wise. This is a hopeless situation. There is more hope for a fool than for them. Proverbs 26 verse 12, New International Version. Again, wisdom is described as a religious commitment. To be wise means to keep God's commandments. Proverbs 3 verse 1, to display mercy and truth, Proverbs 3 verse 3, and to trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3 verse 5. Wisdom implies an intimate relationship with God. The heart was already mentioned in Proverbs 2 verse 10 as the place wisdom should enter. The question is, what reward comes with the gift of wisdom? Listen for the answer in Proverbs 3 verses 13 through 18, which say, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. 
She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. What answer did you hear? Wisdom is associated with life and health. Proverbs 3, verses 2, 8, 16, 18, and 22. One of the most suggestive images is the tree of life. In verse 18, a promise repeated several times in the book of Proverbs. You may recognize this promise in Proverbs 11, verse 30, Proverbs 13, verse 12, and Proverbs 15, verse 4. This metaphor alludes to the Garden of Eden. This promise does not mean that the acquisition of wisdom will provide eternal life. Instead, the idea is that the quality of life with God, which our first parents enjoyed in Eden, can, to some measure, be recovered. When we live with God, we get some inkling, some hints of Eden. Even better, we learn to hope in the promised recovery of this lost kingdom, as Daniel 7 verse 18 assures us. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom, and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Here's what Proverbs 3 verses 19 and 20 say. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. The sudden reference to the creation story seems to be out of place in this context. Yet the use of wisdom at creation reinforces the argument of verse 18, which associates wisdom with the tree of life. If God used wisdom to create the heavens and earth, wisdom is not a trivial matter. The scope of wisdom is cosmic, going beyond the limits of our earthly existence. Wisdom concerns our eternal life as well. This lesson is implied in the reference to the tree of life, reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. This perspective is also contained in the promise that concludes our passage. Proverbs 3 verse 35 The wise shall inherit glory. Let's continue exploring. Here are four bonus quotations, several pages each from specific chapters by Ellen G. White. Our first reading is from the chapter entitled Hidden Treasure, pages 111 through 114 in Christ's Object Lessons. The scriptures need not be read by the dim light of tradition or human speculation. As well might we try to give light to the sun with a torch as to explain the scriptures by human tradition or imagination. God's holy word needs not the torchlight glimmer of earth to make its glories distinguishable. It is light in itself, the glory of God revealed, and beside it every other light is dim. But there must be earnest study and close investigation. Sharp, clear perceptions of truth will never be the reward of indolence. No earthly blessing can be obtained without earnest, patient, persevering effort. If men attain success in business, they must have a will to do and a faith to look for results. And we cannot expect to gain spiritual knowledge without earnest toil. Those who desire to find the treasures of truth must dig for them as the miners dig for the treasure hidden in the earth. No half-hearted, indifferent work will avail. 
It is essential for old and young, not only to read God's Word, but to study it with wholehearted earnestness, praying and searching for truth as for hidden treasure. Those who do this will be rewarded, for Christ will quicken the understanding. Our salvation depends on a knowledge of the truth contained in the Scriptures. It is God's will that we should possess this. Search, oh, search the precious Bible with hungry hearts. Explore God's word as a miner explores the earth to find veins of gold. Never give up the search until you have ascertained your relation to God and His will in regard to you. Christ declared, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Men of piety and talent catch views of eternal realities, but often they fail of understanding, because the things that are seen eclipse the glory of the unseen. He who would seek successfully for the hidden treasure must rise to higher pursuits than the things of this world. His affections and all his capabilities must be consecrated to the search. Disobedience has closed the door to a vast amount of knowledge that might have been gained from the scriptures. Understanding means obedience to God's commandments. The scriptures are not to be adapted to meet the prejudice and jealousy of men. They can be understood only by those who are humbly seeking for a knowledge of the truth that they may obey it. Do you ask, what shall I do to be saved? You must lay your preconceived opinions, your hereditary and cultivated ideas, at the door of investigation. If you search the scriptures to vindicate your own opinions, you will never reach the truth. Search in order to learn what the Lord says. If conviction comes as you search, if you see that your cherished opinions are not in harmony with the truth, do not misinterpret the truth in order to suit your own belief, but accept the light given. Open mind and heart that you may behold wondrous things out of God's word. Faith in Christ as the world's Redeemer calls for an acknowledgment of the enlightened intellect controlled by a heart that can discern and appreciate the heavenly treasure. This faith is inseparable from repentance and transformation of character. To have faith means to find and accept the gospel treasure with all the obligations which it imposes. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 3. He may conjecture and imagine, but without the eye of faith, he cannot see the treasure. Christ gave his life to secure for us this inestimable treasure, but without regeneration through faith in His blood, there is no remission of sins, no treasure for any perishing soul. We need the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit in order to discern the truths in God's Word. The lovely things of the natural world are not seen until the sun, dispelling the darkness, floods them with its light. So the treasures in the Word of God are not appreciated until they are revealed by the bright beams of the Son of Righteousness. The Holy Spirit, sent from heaven by the benevolence of infinite love, takes the things of God and reveals them to every soul that has implicit faith in Christ. By His power, the vital truths upon which the salvation of the soul depends are impressed upon the mind, and the way of life is made so plain that none need err therein. As we study the Scriptures, we should pray for the light of God's Holy Spirit to shine upon the Word, that we may see and appreciate its treasures. Let none think that there is no more knowledge for them to gain. The depth of human intellect may be measured, the works of human authors may be mastered, 
but the highest, deepest, broadest flight of the imagination cannot find out God. There is infinity beyond all that we can comprehend. We have seen only the glimmering of divine glory and of the infinitude of knowledge and wisdom. We have, as it were, been working on the surface of the mine, when rich golden ore is beneath the surface, to reward the one who will dig for it. The shaft must be sunk deeper and yet deeper in the mine, and the result will be glorious treasure. Through a correct faith, divine knowledge will become human knowledge. No one can search the scriptures in the Spirit of Christ without being rewarded. When man is willing to be instructed as a little child, when he submits wholly to God, he will find the truth in his word. If men would be obedient, they would understand the plan of God's government. The heavenly world would open its chambers of grace and glory for exploration. Human beings would be altogether different from what they are now, for by exploring the minds of truth men would be ennobled. The mystery of redemption, the incarnation of Christ, his atoning sacrifice, would not be as they are now, vague in our minds. They would be not only better understood, but altogether more highly appreciated. In his prayer to the Father, Christ gave to the world a lesson which should be graven on mind and soul. This is life eternal, he said, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, verse 3. This is true education. It imparts power. The experimental knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ whom he has sent transforms man into the image of God. It gives to man the mastery of himself, bringing every impulse and passion of the lower nature under the control of the higher powers of the mind. It makes its possessor a son of God and an heir of heaven. It brings him into communion with the mind of the infinite and opens to him the rich treasures of the universe. This is the knowledge which is obtained by searching the word of God, and this treasure may be found by every soul who will give all to obtain it. If thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hidden treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 2, verses 3-5 through our second is from chapter 112, entitled, A Blessing in the Home, page 333, in Messages to Young People. The Lord says to the young, My son, give me thine heart. The Savior of the world loves to have children and youth give their hearts to him. There may be a large army of children who shall be found faithful to God, because they walk in the light, as Christ is in the light. They will love the Lord, and it will be their delight to please him. They will not be impatient if reproved, but will make glad the heart of father and mother by their kindness, their patience, their willingness to do all they can in helping to bear the burdens of daily life. Through childhood and youth, they will be found faithful disciples of our Lord. Children and youth, in your earliest years you may be a blessing in the home. What a grief it is to see children of God fearing parents, unruly and disobedient, unthankful and self-willed, full of determination to have their own way, regardless of the inconvenience or sorrow it causes their parents. Satan takes delight in ruling the hearts of children, and if he is permitted he will inspire them with his own hateful spirit. Parents may do everything in their power to give their children every privilege and instruction in order that they may give their hearts to God, yet the children may refuse to walk in the light 
and, by their evil course, cast unfavorable reflections upon their parents who love them and whose hearts yearn after their salvation. It is Satan who tempts children to follow in a course of sin and disobedience, and then if he is permitted he will take the life of the children while they are yet in their sins, in order to cut them off from all hope of salvation, and to pierce, as with a sword, the hearts of the God-fearing fathers and mothers, who will be bowed down with a sorrow that never can be lifted, because of their children's final impenitence and rebellion against God. Children and youth, I entreat you, for Christ's sake, to walk in the light, Submit your will to the will of God. When sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Keep the way of the Lord, for you will have no peace in transgression. By an evil course you bring discredit upon your parents and dishonor upon the religion of Christ. Remember that your life is recorded in the books of heaven to be opened before the assembled universe. Think what shame, what remorse would be yours should it be your unhappy lot to lose eternal life. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Then shall they call upon me. Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall quiet from fear of evil. Heed the instruction of Christ. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. Our third reading is from chapter 21, entitled, Study of Physiology, pages 197 and 198, in the book simply entitled, Education. The influence of the mind on the body, as well as of the body on the mind, should be emphasized. The electric power of the brain, promoted by mental activity, vitalizes the whole system, and is thus an invaluable aid in resisting disease. This should be made plain. The power of the will and the importance of self-control, both in the preservation and in the recovery of health, the depressing and even ruinous effect of anger, discontent, selfishness, or impurity, and, on the other hand, the marvelous life-giving power to be found in cheerfulness, unselfishness, gratitude, should also be shown. There is a physiological truth, truth that we need to consider in the scripture, that says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Proverbs 17, verse 22. Let thine heart keep my commandments, God says, for length of days and years of life and peace shall they add to thee. They are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Pleasant words the scriptures declare to be not only sweet to the soul, but health to the bones. Proverbs 3, verse 1 and 2. The youth need to understand the deep truth underlying the Bible statement that with God is the fountain of life. Psalm 36, 9. Not only is he the originator of all, but he is the life of everything that lives. It is his life that we receive in the sunshine, in the pure, sweet air, in the food which builds up our bodies and sustains our strength. It is by his life that we exist, hour by hour, moment by moment, except as perverted by sin all his gifts tend to life, to health and joy. He hath made everything beautiful in its time, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 in the Revised Version. And true beauty will be secured, not in marring God's word, but in coming into harmony with the laws of him who created all things and who finds pleasure in their beauty and perfection. As a mechanism of the body is studied, attention should be directed to its wonderful adaptation of means to ends, the harmonious action and dependence of the various organs. 
As the interest of the student is thus awakened, and he is led to see the importance of physical culture, much can be done by the teacher to secure proper development and right habits. Among the first things to be aimed at should be a correct position, both in sitting and in standing. God made man upright, and he desires him to possess not only the physical, but the mental and moral benefit, the grace and dignity and self-possession, the courage and self-reliance, which an erect bearing so greatly tends to promote. Let the teacher give instruction on this point by example and by precept. Show what a correct position is, and insist that it shall be maintained. Our fourth reading is from the section entitled, Ellen G. White Comments, page 1156, in the SDA Bible Commentary, volume 3. True wisdom is a treasure as lasting as eternity. Many of the world's so-called wise men are wise only in their own estimation. Content with the acquisition of worldly wisdom, they never enter the garden of God, to become acquainted with the treasures of knowledge contained in His holy word. Supposing themselves to be wise, they are ignorant concerning the wisdom which all must have who gain eternal life. They cherish a contempt for the book of God, which, if studied and obeyed, would make them truly wise. The Bible is to them an impenetrable mystery. The grand, deep truths of the Old and New Testaments are obscure to them, because spiritual things are not spiritually discerned. They need to learn that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that without this wisdom their learning is of little worth. Those who are striving for an education in the sciences, but who have not learned the lesson that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, are working helplessly and hopelessly, questioning the reality of everything. They may acquire an education in the sciences, but unless they gain a knowledge of the Bible and a knowledge of God, they are without true wisdom. The unlearned man, if he knows God and Jesus Christ, has a more enduring wisdom that has the most learned man who despises the instruction of God. The wise man says that wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Many cherish the impression that devotion to God is detrimental to health and to cheerful happiness in the social relations of life. But those who walk in the path of wisdom and holiness find that godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. They are alive to the enjoyment of life's real pleasures, while they are not troubled with vain regrets over misspent hours, nor with gloom or horror of mind, as the worldling too often is when not diverted by some exciting amusement. Godliness does not conflict with the laws of health, but is in harmony with them. Had men ever been obedient to the law of Ten Commandments, had they carried out in their lives the principles of these ten precepts, the curse of disease that now floods the world would not be. One whose mind is quiet and satisfied in God is on the highway to health. A soul filled with the love of Jesus lends to the words, the manners, the looks, hope, courage, and serenity. It reveals the Spirit of Christ. It breathes a love which will be reflected. It awakens a desire for a better life. Souls ready to faint are strengthened. Those struggling against temptation will be fortified and comforted. The words, the expression, the manners throw out a bright ray of sunshine and leave behind them a clear path toward heaven, the source of all light. Every one of us has opportunities of helping others. We are constantly making impressions upon the youth about us. The expression of the countenance is itself a mirror of the life within. Jesus desires that we shall become like himself, 
filled with tender sympathy, exerting a ministry of love in the small duties of life. The light which is given to shine brighter and brighter until the perfect day burns dimly. The Church no longer sends out the clear, bright rays of light amidst the moral darkness that is enveloping the world as a funeral pall. The light of many does not burn or shine. They are moral icebergs. Think more about, and perhaps discuss, the idea of the fear of the Lord. More specifically, if there is no fear in love, how can you fear the Lord and still love Him? How can you reconcile the tension between justice and love in the fear of the Lord? Why is being wise in one's own eyes such a dangerous state to be in? Consider how corrupt, destitute, depraved the human heart is, and how easy it is to rationalize just about any behavior you want. Think of how the worst of behaviors have been rationalized. How can you make sure you don't do the same thing? ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.